All right. Hey, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat, but only when you've met someone. You know the rule. Uh, listen, hey, Merry Christmas. Good to see you guys. I, it is so good to be with you. Um, I am so excited you guys are here. Merry Christmas. Do me a favor. We're in Matthew chapter 18 today. So if you would, turn to Matthew 18. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. But Matthew 18, turn there. Raise your hand. Let's get you a Bible. But Matthew chapter 18, that's where we'll be at today. Just to remind you guys, um, this Tuesday night, we are having... Our Christmas Eve service. All right, that was okay. This Tuesday at 6 p.m., we're having a Christmas Eve service. Um, we're going to really have a message geared around the good news, how God entered earth. Uh, good news, great joy, all people. I'm looking really forward to this. Please come. We'll start at 6 o'clock. We'll be done about 7.15. We'd love for you to make this like your tradition is to join us on Christmas Eve. Um, looking forward to what the Lord's going to do that night. Uh, we've been able to just invite a lot of people to come on out and hear the gospel hope for, the, for the first time on Christmas Eve. But uh, we're going to have some fun stuff for the kids, a little kids choir. We'll have a little photo booth, some candy. We'll just have some fun that night. So 6 p.m. this Tuesday. We'll be here in a couple of days. Cannot wait for that. Uh, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Here's where we're at. Here's what we're doing just to kind of catch you up to speed. And we also want to make this message really centered around the good news of Jesus, that God came to save, that God came to forgive. So here's what we're doing. Uh, we've been going through for several weeks this idea of we want to be more like Jesus. And how? How do you and I become more like Jesus? A lot of times we can study the Bible. Maybe it feels like theory to us where it's like, okay, this is great. Like, this is a great idea, but how do I actually apply this? How do I actually live this out? So we've been doing this series called Spiritual Formation. And you're like, what is spiritual formation? It's basically a series on the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices. We've defined it as being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. My hope for our church has been, let us get back to what we've had as Christians for a couple thousand years, which is these spiritual practices or disciplines. Whether prayer, being in the Word, fasting, silence, solitude, we've kind of walked through these things. Like, let us get back to these. I think now more than ever in our fast-paced culture, we're saying, let's slow down. Let's slow down and have a listening ear for the voice of God. Let's open up his word and say, God, speak to us. So we've been doing this for the past couple of weeks. Last week, we did like a two-part thing on how to actually read the Bible. How do you read the Bible? Where do you begin? How do you begin? How do you read through it? And I hope you've been applying that. I hope you've maybe uh, practiced Lectio Divina or maybe that exegesis we kind of talked. We, we hope that you've been able to give yourself to that in case you missed it. Please go back and listen. I hope it transforms how you read the Bible. But here's what we're doing today. Today, we want to look at the practice of forgiveness. The practice of forgiveness. Um, this season, and there's a few days, it's Christmas. This is a reminder to us of this is why God came. This is why Jesus came. He came to save. He came to forgive. Remember when the angel appeared to Joseph and said, hey, Joseph, your fiance, your betrothed, she's pregnant, and I promise she's really a virgin, okay? I know it sounds crazy, but she's a virgin. And the angel appears to Joseph, I think, to comfort him, confirm what he's heard about his betrothed. And here's what the angel says to him. The angel says to Joseph, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to forgive. This season reminds us that when God came to earth, God came to earth to save, God came to earth to forgive, God came to earth by doing that, how? By, by dying on a cross, by rising from the grave three days later. See, Jesus came to save, Jesus came to forgive, and here's the idea for us. Um, Jesus, on, with his very last breath, he, he was offering forgiveness to those who were crucifying him. Here's the idea. As followers of Jesus, we want to be a people that not only is forgiven, but a people that are forgiving. And I hope 
I hope this can become a part of our DNA. I think we'll be marked by this truth that we Christians, followers of Jesus, are very forgiving people. What does that mean? What does that look like? I don't want to downplay this or diminish this. I think that sometimes maybe pastors or preachers can almost talk about forgiveness in a way that maybe can come across as hurtful because they downplay the experiences or pain we've walked through. I don't want to do that. Here's the idea. I know and I really do believe that God wants to set us free today from some bitterness. I really believe this is not just a message about forgiveness, but unforgiveness. I think when you see people with high anxiety, depression, bitterness, resentment, a lot of it is due to unforgiveness in their heart towards maybe someone or some event, something. And so our hope is God just bring true forgiveness, bring true healing for this. Um, It's been said that when you forgive someone, you're setting someone free and you realize that person is you. When you forgive someone, you're not just setting them free, you're setting yourself free. And I think that's a very true thought. Listen, I think for some of us in this room, you have like big things in your life. Like I need, I need to forgive this person of something that happened years ago. For some people, you may just be bitter about little things. I think we're kind of petty sometimes. It's like, I hate that person. Why do you hate them? Uh, they didn't open the door for me and I walked by. It's like, okay. Like, sometimes we just have like little bitter tendencies, and, and I just think that God wants to free us from that. So here's what, honestly my prayer. My, my hope and my prayer for today as we study this, as we look at this, is that some of us are so influenced by our past, so influenced by our present, we're not able to live in the moment. We're not able to walk just in the future of, of God's call in our life. I really do believe that God wants to create within his people a heart that understands we've been forgiven and has a heart to forgive others in that process. I think that sometimes we can just hold on to grudges that are silly. Sometimes you can hold on to grudges that are not silly. They're very serious. And God is saying, I want to, fr- either way, small or big, I want to set you free today. So I want to look at just this big idea that you've been forgiven and you're called to forgive. And I really do pray that Jesus will just set many, if not all, of us from those bitter things that we have in our lives. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. We're going to read it all the way through. We'll pray. We'll look at it more in depth. Uh, But this is a story where Peter approaches Jesus after Jesus talks about reconciliation and Peter goes, I, want to, I have a good idea about forgiveness. And he approaches Jesus, and Jesus gives us a powerful story based, based off of what Peter asks and says. So Matthew 18, verse 21, let's read this all the way through, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 18, let's read in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall uh, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, before the king, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. We know how ridiculous that is. Verse 27, then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, and he released him, and he forgave him the debt. Verse 28, but the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went out, but went and threw him into prison, the debtor's prison, till he should pay the debt. Verse 31. So when this, his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved 
And they came and told their master. They told the king all that had uh, been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his, his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus has a lot to say about forgiveness. This is one of many passages. And again, my hope is that this season, where I think a lot of emotions are stirred around family, relationships, experiences, good or bad, my hope is that Jesus would set you free from the things you walk through, and you'd, for, you'd also set others free in the process. So let's just pray. And I really, do, I really do hope. I really do hope that God does an incredible work and just kind of just reminds us of this incredible grace we've experienced. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much just for the teachings of Jesus, for the life of Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to you, Father, except through him. We thank you, God, for his word. Let us be followers of your word. God, I pray for everyone in this room, those who just said, I want to live for Jesus, follow Jesus. God, help us not do this in word only. I knew in my heart, God, there's unforgiveness tendencies all the time. God, I just ask that you'd give me, give everyone here, a spirit and heart to forgive. We'd be reminded of the debt we were in, into you and how you forgave us. And God, let that spur us on to more forgiveness. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So it's been two years now since his trial and conviction. Maybe you'll remember or recall the name Larry Nasser. If you guys remember the story and I was on the news for, for a long season, Larry Nasser was uh, the Michigan State physician who over his time of many, many years really sexually abused, I think it came up to about 250 young women. He's also an Olympic doctor. And again, you remember this is only about a year and a half, two years ago of all that he did, all that he walked through. And you can go back and you can even see different just testimonials of women who got to stand before the one who hurt them. They got to share their story. They got to say some things. And we saw these different women time after time come and share something. And it was, it was incredibly powerful when you watch it. There's something that within all of us, you kind of have this almost hatred for what he's done and really for him. There's something in us, we go, this is so evil, so wrong. There's actually, in February of 2018, there's a dad there listening to his daughter sharing that he had three daughters who were abused by this doctor. And the dad's listening there. He'd never fully heard their testimony. He never fully heard what his three daughters walked through. And he's there hearing it in court for the first time. And then he had an opportunity to stand up before the judge. And you can watch this. You can see this. Maybe you remember this. But he had an opportunity to stand before the judge. And he goes, Judge, I heard, I've never heard some of these things that were shared today. And he goes, Judge, I ask that you give me five minutes alone with Larry Nasser. Please give me five minutes alone. I think every dad would have that request. The judge goes, obviously, I can't do that. And he goes, just give me one minute alone. And she goes, obviously, I can't do that. And if you remember, the dad then lunges and charges towards Larry. And about three or four officers take him down and hold him down. And you see the daughters just crying as their dad's walking through. And it's just an emotional moment. It's an incredibly painful and emotional moment. You're watching this, and it's weird for me as any, as any dad of a daughter, just any dad. You're looking at that, and you're like, come on, guards, move out of the way. Give him five. Come on, judge, give him one minute. And there's something within us that you totally understand with this, the pain of that. I can't imagine. I can't. I can't say I understand. I can't imagine that pain. I can't imagine the thought of, let me just lunge after him. You see, it's in moments like these, real-life moments, where you go, Josiah, you want to talk about forgiveness with something like that. 
this is something where I struggle with. I go, how does the forgiveness of God and justice of God reconcile? How can God be just and be forgiving? How can we seek justice and be forgiving? Can we do both? Should we do both? I, I think so, absolutely. We'll talk about that. So how do we forgive someone, but also at the same time seek justice? And this is something I think in our hearts is hard to reconcile. Like, how do you actually, though, forgive? You might want justice, you might get justice, but it's not really true justice because you still hurt them, abuse them. So how do, you, how do you actually forgive someone in your heart at that moment at that time? So here's what we're going to talk about today. Because this really is a topic that should emotionally charge all of us because all of us have been hurt. All of us have also hurt other people. All of us have been guilty. All of us have been innocent. All of us need forgiveness. All of us are called to show forgiveness. So let's talk about this, can we? So three thoughts today of what we're going to walk through. We're going to look at what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Um, why forgive? Why should we in a situation like that? And then how to forgive. Maybe this is what we struggle with. How do I actually forgive someone? How do I actually release the debt that they've caused to me in my life? So let's walk through this. And again, as, I, as we walk through this, I just pray that the Holy Spirit does some work in my life, in your life. This has been a hard topic for me even as I had to look back at my life and go, I still have bitterness and resentment. And God, free me. Help me walk through this. So what is forgiveness? Why forgive? How to forgive? Number one is this again. What is forgiveness? Like, What is forgiveness? What does it really look like? Because sometimes I think forgiveness is defined in all these crazy ways. Verse 35 is interesting. We'll, we'll talk about it more. But Jesus ends this wonderful story, this wonderful parable to explain this truth. And he says, you need to forgive from the heart, from the heart. We'll look at that. What is that? So what is forgiveness? Forgive from the heart. How do I do that? So let me just say this. Um, when you're talking about what is forgiveness, I think it's very important to describe what forgiveness is not. Because a lot of times I'll help people talk about forgiveness and I go, I don't know if that's forgiveness. So I think to understand or define something well, we need to know what it's not. So what forgiveness is not, and we'll look at what forgiveness is. So I'm going to kind of work through these points because there's many of them. They're not really points, but just a few statements or thoughts. I'm going to think through, consider what forgiveness is not, then what forgiveness is. Okay, we're going to walk through these. Ready? Here we go. Take notes. Write this down. Remember this. Here, it's important. What forgiveness is not, number one, forgiveness is not denying that sin occurred or diminishing its evil. We need to know this. Sin is not denying. You're not denying that the sin has occurred. You're not trying to diminish the evil of it. You're not trying to lessen it. When people go, it's not a big deal. I mean, whatever. They might have done this to me or so long ago. Do not diminish it. It's evil. Say it what it is. Call it what it is. Number two, we're gonna, like I said, we're going to move through these quickly. Forgiveness is not enabling sin. Forgiveness also is not enabling that person. It's not, well, I forgive them, and then maybe in a, a sense you're just enabling them to continue to do it again and again. You might, again, need to forgive them once they're in prison. Forgiveness is not always going to maybe look like we think it is. It's not enabling sin. Number three, forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. Can we just make this really clear? Forgiveness is not when someone's like, okay, 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 I'm really sorry. You might never get an apology. That person might die. You might never see them again. You might not know who it was. You might never get a, you, forgiveness is not once I get an apology, then I'll forgive. It's not conditional like that. That is something I think a lot, this might be the hardest one for us. Forgiveness is not, wait, you'll never get it. You might keep waiting, but you're still called to forgive. So we'll keep going. Number four, forgiveness is not something you should put off. When people do say, I need time, I do fully understand that, and they, they probably do need time. But what is it? Is it a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20? Like, what, what is it? If you're not intentionally doing something with that time, they'll n if you never have really a plan, you'll just kind of live forever in that state of bitterness. It's not something you can just say, I, I, just, I, need, I need more time. Maybe you do, but maybe you need someone to say, hey, listen, you, you'll take time, but at the same time, you've got to resolve this. You've got to forgive this in your heart. 
Forgiveness is not something you should put off. Number five, forgiveness, and we gotta know this, forgiveness is not forgetting. Can we be clear? We know this, but forgiveness is not forgetting. It's really cliche and hard when someone's like, just forgive and forget. You're like, what? Okay, the Bible over and over again has this command. It says, remember, remember, remember. A lot of times it's like, remember what the Lord has done. Remember, remember. God created us to remember things. We are people who, maybe you're like terrible. I'm terrible at remembering things. But God created us to remember things and experiences and moments. When someone's like, forgive and forget, I I really get frustrated by that. It's a very hurtful statement. Like, I can't forget. I, I get that. They're taking a verse applied about God and they're also abusing it. It's usually Jeremiah 31, 34. The idea is this, uh, where God says to us, I remember your sins no more. And that word remember is literally, I don't bring to my remembrance your sins. I don't identify you in that state anymore. I identify you, God is saying, I identify you in a new light, in a forgiven state. As Christians, new te- followers of Jesus, God's saying, I don't see you and through your past sins, I th- see you as Christ's righteousness is laid on top of you. That's how I see you. This is your new identity. This is how I'm going to view you. But sometimes we take this about God and we're like, yeah, see, forget, I'll remember no more. You don't remember anymore. And it's like, we just got to not make us that way. You will still remember. You will. You will still remember. Forgiveness is not a feeling, all right? It is not a feeling. It's not, I feel ready to forgive. You probably will never feel ready to forgive. I don't know many people that's like, feel ready. You might not ever have that feeling. Maybe you'll get there. Maybe it'll be some part, but it's not a feeling. We've got to be clear on that. And I hope this is freeing you from maybe some of your thoughts of what you thought this was. Number seven, forgiveness is not trusting. I know we know this. Maybe we don't. But forgiveness is not, this person hurt me. Let's say you're a parent of a child and someone hurt your child. Someone abused your child. There's going to be a process through discipleship and through God's spirit and through God's grace. You're going to work through to forgive that person. And by God's grace, you can forgive that person who hurt or did wrong. But it's not, now let me trust you and reinvite you back into my family, reinvite you back into my home under one roof. It might not be that. It might not ever be that. You can forgive and still not trust that person because trust has been completely broken in some experiences. Sometimes you will have to work on reestablishing trust and that's reconciliation and there really is a difference. We'll talk about that in a second, but that's number eight. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Um, There is a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. In reconciliation, you need two parties that are willing to repent and two parties that are willing to forgive. With forgiveness, you just need one. See, with reconciliation, you really do need, I'm willing to repent and own my sin. I'm willing to repent and own my sin. Okay, let's talk through this. Let's confess sin. Let's forgive each other. And reconciliation will be established like that. Matthew 18, earlier in that chapter, talks about that. But forgiveness is one-sided, really. Forgiveness is, you might never get an apology. I'm still going to choose to forgive. So I'm, I'm bringing this up today because I think there's a lot of ideas of what forgiveness is. Let me just say what it's not, right? Can we move on? Yes? Good? Okay. Here's what forgiveness is. What is forgiveness? Number one, forgiveness is canceling a debt owed to you. Forgiveness is canceling a debt owed to you. This is the parable Jesus gave. This is the illustration he gave, and we'll look at this more. He does a beautiful job of explaining this, but it is canceling a debt. Um, this is what we do as people. Someone hurt you, and you go, I'm going to make them pay. They're going to pay for what they've done. How many times have we heard that like a movie? They're going to pay for what they've done to me. All right, that's not forgiveness, obviously. All right, that's revenge. We'll talk about that. But that's the idea of like, no, I'm canceling that debt. What does Jesus say when he says, hey, when you pray, Christians, when you pray, say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there's constantly this idea of sin being related to as debts. Forgive us our debts, God. We're in debt to you. 
forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are in debt to us, those who wronged us. Uh, I like what this guy named Gary Brashear said about forgiveness. Here's a good definition. What is forgiveness? He says, forgiveness is our personal act to release the one who sinned against us from the, our personal right to collect on the moral debt, to pay them back for their offense, with or without, listen, their participation in the process. With or without their participation, I'm canceling that debt. They might not ever say, please forgive me, cancel this debt. And you're choosing to do this in this process. What is forgiveness? Number two, forgiveness is removing the control that the offender has over you. If you've ever been greatly hurt, you kind of are reliving certain thoughts, conversations. You're reliving what people said or did to you. And you see how that soul's control over you. You still see how that manipulates you in the moment that your peace is gone, your joy is gone, your personality maybe is hurt greatly by people, what they've done, and they're still controlling you through the hurt they've brought. So forgiveness is saying, hey, you don't control me anymore. I'm releasing this in a way where now it doesn't control my thoughts, my life, my circumstance, my joy. It's not going to steal that. And you're releasing that. Number three is this, forgiveness is forsaking revenge. Forgiveness is forsaking revenge. All right, so um, if you've ever been around a little kid, right? And let's say there's a little boy. He throws a toy at another little boy. My son's never done this. But he throws a toy at another little boy. And then you're like, hey, you know, say you're sorry. And they go, I'm sorry, right? And you, you try to do this, but you're like, now say I forgive you. And it's like, I forgive you. And you're like, good job. And as soon as they're like, I forgive you, and then they take a toy and throw it back, and hits the kid in the head. You're like, you just said I forgive. Like, that's not forgiveness. Like, we do that, like, hey, I forgive you, but I'm going to get you later. All right, that's not forgiveness. We might confuse it sometimes. What does Romans 12 say? Vengeance is mine. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I will repay, says the Lord. It's God's duty, not ours. In a similar way of vengeance, let's look at justice. Number four is this. Uh, forgiveness is leaving ultimate justice in God's hands. This is difficult. Forgiveness is leaving ultimate justice in God's hands. You're, sometimes we as humans be, tend to think that we are more just than God. I am more, I am good. I am good and God is not. Sometimes we think I'm just, God isn't just. Listen, God is, God is just. God is gracious, God is merciful, absolutely God is just. And we're going to see that either sin, again, either sin has been judged on Jesus on the cross or sin will be judged in hell for eternity. But God's just regardless. Either your sin by your faith in Jesus is placed on Jesus on the cross or you're going to be held responsible for your own sin. And the idea is God's just ultimately. He will be just. So in that Larry Nasser story, maybe you remember this story. This girl named Rachel, um, how do you say her last name? A girl named Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, she was the girl that got up and in front of the court, she told Larry Nasser in front of everyone, I forgive you, right? She read this long thing and she says, and I forgive you. And people kind of blew that out of the water. Like, how could you forgive him? Or some were mad, some were happy. I'm so proud of you for forgiving him. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about what she said when she said, I forgive you. And she re you know, recently came out and had an interview, I think with Christianity Today and said, I'm, let me talk to you about what that means, how I forgive him. So when, when I say justice is ultimately in God's hands, I really love her definition of forgiveness and how she describes it. So listen to this. The reporter asked her, they said, what does it mean to you that you forgave Larry Nasser? What does that mean? The, the reporter asked, what does it mean to you that you forgave? You said you forgive him. What does that mean to you? Here's a response. It means that I trust in God's justice and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him and I trust God's justice, whether he chooses to meet that out purely, eternally, or both in heaven and on earth. What a good response. She goes, this for me is what forgiveness looks like to my defender, the person who offended me, the person who took from me, the person who abused me, the person who hurt me. This is what it looks like. 
Number five, forgiveness is an ongoing process, right? When we forgive someone, it's usually probably not a one-time thing. I know that sometimes a big thing can happen, a small thing, and we go, I forgive you. There's things that people have done that I still have to go, God, I forgave them, but help me to continue to forgive them. There's going to be those prayers where you go, God, I forgive them, but Lord, this kind of tends to rise back up in my life and help me forgive again and again. And this is like what Jesus said in his story of 70 times seven. It's this ongoing thing. We're practicing forgiveness. It's a discipline to show forgiveness. It's an ongoing process. And number six, forgiveness is undeserved favor. I mean, that's what it is, right? Forgiveness is absolutely undeserved favor. Do they deserve forgiveness? Some people are like, they don't deserve it. Exactly. They don't deserve it. The idea for you and I, it's like, do we deserve forgiveness? Do I deserve forgiveness for God? No way. That's why it's undeserved favor. Forgiveness is a great example of grace. Again, a a definition of forgiveness is to excuse a fault, absolve from payment, pardon, send away, cancel, and bestow favor unconditionally. That is forgiveness. That is forgiveness. Number seven, forgiveness. This might be the most difficult. Forgiveness is wanting good for your offender. Wow, this is something that only God can do. This is something only the Holy Spirit can do. Church, can we hear this? This is what makes a difference between someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, but they can forgive, versus someone who does believe in Jesus and we forgive. This is the big difference right here, is that at this point in time, you go, not only do I forgive them, but I'm praying blessing over them. Have you been there before when someone's hurt you so bad and you're praying, God, bless that person? And not like praying, God, curse them, strike them down, but you're praying, God, bless them. You know, I think of Jesus in Luke 6. What does Jesus say? This is kind of like another sort of Sermon on the Mount story in Luke 6, but Jesus says this. He says, Luke 6, verse 27. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. You see, forgiveness is saying, I actually want good for this person. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who use you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who harm you. This is the difference between a follower of Jesus who shows forgiveness and just some random person who wants to show forgiveness. You're saying the love of God has been so poured into my heart and he's forgiven me so much that not only do I forgive them, but I want to see good for them. Is that easy? No. Am I trying to say, just come on guys, get in, snap into it? No. This will be prayer. This will be time. I'm telling you, I've seen this personally where I go, you start praying for someone, you start praying for someone who's really hurt you and you go, God bless them. God, I ask that you bless them, their future family, their kids. God, I ask that they would just love you, know you. I want to see joy in their life. When you start praying that kind of prayer for someone, watch God do something in your heart towards them. You might not ever trust them. That's fine. But you'll begin to go, I actually want to see good for them. I actually want to see them know their creator and walk with their creator. I actually want to see them walk in God's call in their life because they're not walking in God's call in their life and I see how much damage and destruction it does. So I'm praying good for them. This might be the hardest but most necessary thing to do as we seek to forgive, as you seek to forgive from the heart, as Jesus said. Listen, number eight, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is giving a gift to yourself and to your offender. I mean, it just is that. I'm releasing you. I'm releasing me. I'm canceling the debt. I'm absorbing the debt. Step one is this, release the debt. Step two is absorb the debt. It's so difficult. Well, even look at that in that parable Jesus gave. But I want to continue this thought. You know, it's funny. I love how, like, you know, the modern world kind of catches up with the Bible, you know, because there's something beautiful about forgive. There's something about how the world goes, did you ever know that your emotional health and your, your physical health are tied together? And do you know what actually benefits you when you forgive people? Um, there's an article that came out from Harvard Women's Health Watch. Because, you know, I love to read about um, Women's Health Watch from Harvard. But I saw this article. I thought it was so good. And I'm like, yes, this is true. This is the title of the article. It's called Forgiving Those Who Hurt You Can Improve Your Mental and Physical Well-Being. 
Here was the idea, simply, of this. They came up with five things. Through their studies, through their research, they said it reduces stress when people who forgive actually have less stress. People who live in forgiveness and show forgiveness have less stress. There's many, much research done on this that uh, when you go through something traumatic like and you have unforgiveness, the body actually raises its blood pressure, it gets tense, they're sweating, they're swelling, just so it reduces stress when you forgive. Uh, it talks about how you have better heart health. How one study found a link between forgiving someone for betrayal and improving in blood pressure and heart rate. It's better for your heart when you forgive. You have stronger relationships. Those who forgive tend to do conflict much better. They tend to resolve things much better. Those who constantly live in unforgiveness move from friend group to friend group, church to church, because they have no idea how to deal with conflict. They have no idea how to deal with re resolving an issue. They have no idea how to forgive. So this, the idea is like people who know, to know how to forgive actually have better relationships. Uh, you have reduced pain. They've talked about and found research of people who have unforgiveness and bitterness that they have a lot of chronic back pain and other issues. And those who forgive, they tend to find that that goes down. They found out, and they, this is nothing crazy, but hey, you have greater happiness. Uh, when someone forgives, it says you make yourself, rather than the person who hurt you, responsible for your happiness. So you, I'm responsible for my happiness, not them. Now, here, here's what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to convince you, like, this is why you got to do I'm just saying I love how the world catches up with what Jesus says. He's like, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who use you. Watch what this does to your heart. Watch what it's like to live as a follower of Jesus, like part of the citizens of, of just heaven, the kingdom of heaven on earth. He goes, you're going to live differently. You're going to experience life differently. This will be, what is forgiveness? What is it not? We just walk through that. But listen, this is the question. Why forgive? Why? Because let's be honest. When you look at that story, whether it's Larry Nasser or, or we know tons of stories here, personally, you go, but Josiah, you have no idea what they did to me. Not just how could I forgive, but why should I forgive them? Why? Time and time again, they did this. No one stood up. No one said anything to me. And this is where Jesus' story comes in. Matthew 18. Can we look at that again? Matthew 18, verse 21. Let's see what Jesus says. I love this. So Peter, I love Peter. Thank God for Peter. He's just an example of all of us. He's great. Peter came to Jesus, verse 21, and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive a brother who sins against me? And, and I forgive him up to seven times? I, I love Peter. Because Peter's that guy in class who like asked the question where it's like, no one wanted to ask, but you're glad Peter asked. And he's like, so, okay, Jesus, you talk about forgiveness. So seven times. And, and I love that Peter thinks this is very generous because actually the common thought, the rabbis taught of their day, you forgive someone three times. After that, you cut them off. You're done. That was the common thought. It's kind of like three strikes are out. That was like the common teaching from the rabbis of their day. So Peter goes, okay, I'll double that and add one, like a little cherry on top. Seven. I love Peter. And, you know, completion. So he's like, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times. And then Jesus, and if Peter didn't ask this, we wouldn't have this beautiful story. We wouldn't have this beautiful truth or teaching from Jesus. So keep reading. Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, Obviously, Jesus, he's not saying, you forgive someone 490 times, but at 491, you're done. He's not saying that. The idea is, listen, you're going to develop a pattern and lifestyle of forgiveness, and you're going to forget. See, he's basically saying, lose count. Husbands, wives, lose count. Don't keep score. Uh, common person who just struggles with life issues, don't keep count. We can do this, because I think people who study the Bible can sometimes get weird, like 70 times 7, 490, and they go in the room, they start like marking their wall, one, two, and it's like, okay, you're creeping everyone out. That's obviously not what Jesus meant. You're very bitter. That's why he's trying to get to that issue. He's saying lose count. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongdoing. It's this idea of I lost count. I developed a pattern and lifestyle of forgiveness. I'm practicing forgiveness. So Jesus says, this is what you should do. Practice forgiveness. Have a lifestyle of forgiveness. And then Jesus gives us this wonderful story. Verse 23. Listen to this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. In this analogy, in this story, this king, who does this king speak of? He speaks of God. And the idea is this king, God, must settle accounts with those who are in debt to him. God must settle accounts. God's like, I must settle accounts. I'm a just God. I must settle accounts. People are in debt to me. I must settle accounts. This idea of 10,000 talents, people try to speculate. I've read something like today's market, it might be 60 to 90 million. Others like, no, 10,000 talents, like billions. The idea is he could never pay it back, obviously. I mean, imagine having a billion dollar debt and you're like, please forgive me. I just, I will pay you back. Like, no, you're not. You're not going to pay him back. And it's this ridiculous amount of money. Absolutely insane. It was a debt he could never, ever pay back. And so, keep reading verse 26. The servant, therefore, he fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. We know this is insane. We know this is a lie. Imagine, I will pay you your billion dollars. Just give me some time. Like, no, there's not enough time is going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. It doesn't matter if we give you a bazillion years. Like, you're not going to pay back this debt. The idea is, is it's, it's, you can't. And he has a ridiculous request. Like, isn't that ridiculous if you think about it? Imagine just that request. When I think about forgiveness between us and God, it, it is a crazy request. God, forgive me. It's, it's a crazy, when you think about it, it's like I have this infinite debt. I've, I, can't, I can't count how many sins I've had in my lifetime. It's this crazy debt. Imagine this request. Please forgive me of this, all this crazy debt. Keep reading, verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. I mean, I don't know if you and I get just how incredible that transition is. He sees him asking for forgiveness, and he's like, wow, I have compassion on this broken fool. <laughs> and he's like, I forgive you of this 10,000 talent, of this billion, I forgive you, I release you. I mean, I can't even just fathom how the king got to that point of like, yeah, you know what? I forgive you. We see that phrase, move with compassion. We see that often with Jesus in Luke's gospel. It says, and Jesus was moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion. You see a compassionate king. That's very rare today, even today. Like, it's very rare to see someone, a high up official, just be very compassionate. He's like, wow, I'm really heartbroken for you. And he just forgives the debt. And I do want us to think of this. Um, there's a little story. There's a little epistle called Philemon. Paul wrote this little, his shortest epistle, his shortest letter called the book of Philemon. It's one chapter, just a few verses, right? If you get a chance, read Philemon. It's an incredible story. Philemon was a leader in the church of Coloss. He was like some sort of pastor, elder, something like that, but he's a leader. Uh, Philemon was a guy who had a servant, an indentured servant, someone who borrowed money most likely from him and to pay it off became his servant. They would call it in the Old Testament, you'll see that in the New Testament as a slave. We'll say that is an indentured servant. He's paying off a debt to his master. That's the context, that's the idea. Well, Philemon has this guy who's working for him because he owes him a lot of money. His name's Onesimus. This is a true story. Onesimus goes, I don't want to work for this, and he leaves. He flees. He runs away. Somehow, Onesimus runs into Paul. Paul meets Onesimus. Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus. Onesimus gets saved and believes in Jesus. And Paul goes, tell me about your life and your life story. And he finds out, I work for this guy named Philemon. Paul's like, I know Philemon. No way, right? And there's this interaction happening. And he goes, what happened? He goes, well, I kind of, I left. I owed him money and I left. So you stole from him. Yeah. Okay, you need to go back to him. You need to make it right. You need to pay off your debt. But you need to go back to him and say it. Because at that point in time, what could Philemon do to Onesimus? He could throw him in prison. He could punish him. He could possibly, if he's not a Roman citizen, maybe this could even lead to his execution. There's a lot there. And he goes, you need to go back to Philemon. And so Paul says, but Onesimus, Onesimus I'm going to give you a letter. Take this letter back to Philemon. I know him. He owes me. 
And I love this story. So the letter of Philemon is a letter that he gave to Onesimus for Onesimus to go, hey, Philemon, I'm back. Here's a letter from Paul. By the way, I got saved. And so here's what Paul says in that letter. This is great. It's Philemon chapter one, verse 18. This is what Paul writes. He goes, Philemon, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. What a beautiful phrase. If he has wronged you or owes you anything, Philemon, put that on my account. Philemon, you owe me, man. I'm the one who led you to Jesus. <laughs> you know, you were on your way to hell. You got saved. You're born again. You have a new life. You owe me. You owe me. He was, if he's wronged you or owes you anything, just put that on my account. Put, you put that on me. Is this not the gospel? The idea was you and I were in debt to God and a debt we could never pay. Jesus comes down, pays for our sins, and says, Father, put that on my account. Put their sin on my account. They could never pay off this debt. Put it on my account. The idea is Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Is this not the gospel? There, we are in debt to God. We're in debt to this king. More than billions, we're in debt to God. And, and Jesus goes, put that on my account. I forgive them. I release them. And this is that story that's happening between this king and the servant. It's a beautiful story. The king, in a sense, absorbs the debt. Imagine being forgiven of all that, all that you've been forgiven of. So that was verse 27. Look at verse 28. So what do you think the servant's going to do? What do you think how he's going to respond? Verse 28. That servant went out. Listen. He went out and he found one of his fellow servants. And he owed him 100 denarii. That's like 100 days of work. And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. I mean, what you think you would read is like, and this servant went away skipping and joyful and happy, and I've been forgiven of a debt I could not ever pay. Oh my gosh. But what does he do immediately? He goes, who owes me money? He finds this guy that owes him 100 denarii. That's a decent amount of money. Imagine three months of work. He's like, give me my money. He's like, oh, I'll pay you. Give me time. He's like, no, you're going to prison. And it's almost this, this analogy, the story. Jesus tries to use some of these extremes to captivate the audience. I'm like, this is so extreme. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is so extreme. You've been forgiven of so much. You've been forgiven of an eternal wage. How could you not forgive someone who owes you for a few months? How could you not? And that's the question that would stir within everyone. This guy's wicked and unforgiving, and yet his king's been so good. Jesus is going, absolutely. Keep reading with me in verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I can't like diminish this. I can't try to try to like explain my way out of how difficult this passage is. There are many people who try to do that. This is, a, this is an incredible passage. Jesus is laying down some heavy truth for people. I, I just want you to understand what's happening here. The Bible talks about how God says, um, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. You know, there's a story, or there's a truth in the Old Testament. You read this in Leviticus, this idea of God says, on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur, you're to take two sheep. One sheep you bring to the priest. The priest lays his hand on it. He confesses the sins of the nation on that sheep's head. The sheep was killed in front of just everyone in a sense. His blood was used to atone for the sins on, on Yom Kippur. Then they take another sheep or goat. This is called the scapegoat. They'd also confess sins on that one's head, but they, it says they would release him into the wilderness and no one was to go looking for him. 
And here's the idea. Jesus is a, a perfect picture of both. He absorbed and took on the sin that led to his death for our saving. Jesus also is that, the idea is like, our sin has been so far removed, don't even go looking for it. I love that about God's grace and God's forgiveness. He's like, I've forgiven you. Don't go looking for your past. I've, I've also, I've freed you from that. I've forgiven you of that. Don't go looking for all the things you've done. You've been for, free. You've been, you've been forgiven of that. There's an amazing story there. And then here's what we see. We've been forgiven of so much. And this guy goes, but I can't forgive. I will not show forgiveness. And the idea is to kind of create this like, that is so wrong within all of us. And yet Jesus is giving this story to say, that's you and I, right? He's saying, your heavenly father has forgiven you of an eternal debt. And yet we're still holding on to something for someone from how many years ago, whether it was big to us or small to us, in comparison to all that God has done for us. And there's not even, it's not even the same. All that God has forgiven us of, how could we not? And you go, that was painful. That was evil. I'm not Jesus. God's like, I understand that. I understand that. Jesus, who was on the cross, Jesus, who was abused and neglected, Jesus, who was the one whipped and beaten, is on the cross. He's hanging there innocently. And what does he say about those who, her, who are literally murdering him and stealing his clothing? He looks at them and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this is the response of Jesus, of he in his humanity goes, this is awful, this is painful, this is evil. Father, forgive them. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what they're doing in this moment. See, Jesus left you and I an incredible example of saying, people will never apologize possibly. They'll never own it. But just like you've been forgiven, forgive. Why forgive? You've been forgiven, so forgive. I've been forgiven, so we forgive. Is it easy? No way. Do we need God's spirit? Yes. Do we need grace? Yes. So Jesus is saying, just remember, recall all that you've been forgiven of, and this will help you forgive. It's in Luke 7. There's that story of just a woman who comes to Jesus, kissing his feet, crying at his feet. And there's that Pharisee going, why are you letting this woman, this sinner, touch you? And Jesus gives him another story. Do you remember the story? It's a similar but different story. He goes, let me talk to you. Imagine there's someone who's in debt 500 denarii. Imagine there's someone who's in debt 50 denarii. Imagine that both of those guys are forgiven of their debt. Which one will love more? And he goes, I suppose the one that's forgiven of 500 denarii. He goes, absolutely. To the one who's forgiven of much, loves much. You see, I think here's a problem with us, the church today. We think we've been forgiven of little. I think that sometimes we look at God and go, God's for, I haven't done that. My big sins, what are my big sins? Maybe it's your self-righteousness. <laughs> Maybe it's your just ongoing pride and ego. I, I have no idea. But we need to start viewing ourselves. We have not been forgiven of little, church. Church, have we been forgiven of little or much? Much. Jesus goes, if you're forgiven of much, you love much. The problem is you think you've been forgiven of little. See, guys, why do we forgive? We've been forgiven of so much. I don't understand what the person or persons have done. I can't imagine the pain you're walking through years later, the unforgiveness in your heart. I'm not trying to dismiss that by any means. I'm just trying to say, look what God has forgiven us of. And he says, in light of that, forgive. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, listen, Jesus says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. This is one of those things, again, like we just read in the story. I can't like dismiss this. I can't try to downplay this. Some of you who like love theology are going, wait a second, is this saying salvation's conditional? And you're like, you're already going there. Here's what I'm trying to look at. I'm not going to try to diminish Jesus' statement here. Tim Keller looks at this passage and here's what he said, and I thought it was very well said. He said, this does not mean we can earn God's forgiveness through our own forgiving, but that we can disqualify ourselves from it. No heart that is truly repentant toward God could be unforgiving towards others. No heart that is truly repentant toward God, could be unforgiving toward others. Why do we forgive? Church, why do we forgive? Because we've been forgiven of much. 
Because the, the debt I'm forgiving someone of is nothing in comparison to what God has forgiven me. But let's talk about this number three. How do we do this? How do we forgive? So this is easier said than done. Like, I get that. How do we actually forgive? And I do want to give you some walk, like, step by step. I, notice the question, how do you forgive? It's not how do you reconcile. That's a different sermon. That's a longer sermon. I really do believe that's, there's much more there to reconcile. But how do you actually forgive? I would encourage you first and foremost in Matthew 18, 15, this idea, Jesus simply says, or put it this way, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. I would say, if you need to work, if you need to forgive someone, just tell them, like, hey, you've really hurt me. Jesus, this is more on reconciliation even, but Jesus goes, if they don't hear you, bring someone else or another, or two people. If they don't hear you again, bring the leaders of the church. And this is really, I think, more on reconciliation, but I would say start here by saying, you've hurt me, and I'm telling you, and I love you, and I want to I forgive you, and I'm working on forgiving you, but I just want you to know because it's hard for us to process things together. That's how I'd say start there. But here's really, I'd say, this is where we start. It's verse 35. Jesus says, you better forgive them from the heart. <laughs> He's like, so too, my heavenly Father will also do if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. Forgive from the heart. That will take prayer. That will take praying for those who use you. That'll take the Holy Spirit. That'll take grace. That'll take a lot. That'll take fasting. Maybe you need to fast over food and say, God, I have unforgiveness in my heart. This will take a lot of discipline. I would say forgive from the heart means it's not the shallow, I forgive them. It will, it will take a lot of work. I think with from the heart means this. Um, you're recalling all God has forgiven you of as you seek to forgive the person who wronged you. As you're forgiving someone, you're going, God, I'm just, I need to be reminded of what you've forgiven me of. Okay, that's going to that's gonna help you as you seek to forgive. I would say three, third of all, um, I love how Tim Keller writes in his article about forgiveness. He says, a life of forgiveness requires emotional humility and emotional wealth. Listen, to forgive, you need emotional humility. When Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, I'm the chiefest of sinners, know what he's saying? He says, I know I could be as depraved and broken as anyone else. And so when you have that mindset, it's, it's in a place where you go, they've hurt me, but I could be that hurt. I could be the offender just like them. And there's emotional humility. To forgive, it takes emotional health and emotional wealth. The idea of like, oh my gosh, Lord, I'm so content in you and what you've done for me. I can forgive this person truly from my heart. Maybe you're not able to forgive because of an emotional state you're in. There's emotional weakness or immaturity. God's like, I'm trying to bring you to this place where you can have humility. And you can do it from a place of your identity. How do you forgive? Uh, one author wrote a lot about this. He, wrote, he actually wrote something called REACH as a way to like, REACH was an acronym to how to forgive people. And I thought this was very helpful. He basically says at the end of this letter, he goes, you may need to write a letter or certificate of forgiveness. Maybe you've done this before. I've been with people who've done this. You've had to sit down with people and say, you need to write out to them what they've done, how they've hurt you, and you need to write to them and I forgive you. And you just need to write it out. You need to truly do it. You need to let the Lord let you do that. But maybe you truly need to write and then deliver to them, I give you a certificate of forgiveness. That might be the most painful thing you ever do, and yet it'll be the most freeing thing you ever do. Where you turn that into them and say, I forgive you, and I want you to know it's in writing. This is maybe just an exercise to help you in that. Uh, he goes on to write about the idea of how you hold on to your forgiveness. How you're reminding yourself through prayer, God, I've already forgiven them, so don't let me go back to this bitter, unforgiving state. You're clinging to forgiveness. So church, here's my just two questions for you. It's simple. Who do you need to forgive and who needs to forgive you? So as we talk through all of this today, as we talked about maybe reliving some of those things from a past, that pain, um, who do you need to forgive right now? Who in your heart do you honestly need to identify and say, God, I'm, I'm still bitter at them. When I see them, I cringe. I can't stand being around them. 
This is eating me up alive. It's stealing my health, my joy, my life. Who do you need to forgive? Honestly, please write that name down. Also, some of you might not just be the person who's been offended, but you're the offender. Who do you need to go to and say, I am so sorry for the pain I've caused you? Who do you need to go and seek out forgiveness from? So every week in this series, we've had a practice or a discipline because here's the idea. We don't want to just be a church that talks about it. We want to be a church that does it. Amen? Say amen to that. We don't want to be a church that just talks about it. We want to be a church that does it. Amen? Amen. So here's the practice and discipline. Here's the practice. Number one, identify someone who's hurt you. Pray blessings over them. Start that this week. Start that today. Pray blessings over them and with the Spirit's help, release their debt and absorb their debt and forgive them to their face. There needs to be a time where you put this on the calendar and you say, I need to have a face-to-face with them. I would love to hear the stories that come from this. I would love to hear how God uses truly forgiving from the heart so you can actually step into, I believe, a greater experience as, your, as followers of Jesus so you can truly step into all that God has for you. Number two is this, for this practice, seek out someone you hurt and fully repent and honestly say, will you forgive me? Don't diminish it. Don't try to put blame on them. Don't try to be like, okay, I'll own my part now, you own yours. Maybe you just need to go, please fully forgive me. You're not, we're not, like we like to think, we're the person who's always been offended. We never meet someone who's like always, I'm always the person who people do this to me. It's like, you're probably also very guilty. And you're probably just as offensive as you are being offended. And I think, I think our younger generation can work on that. We like to like rant on social media, and like no one talks to me and likes me. And it's like, you know what? You also probably hurt people. Maybe you can have a little bit of compassion. The problem. And I think God's just trying to say, listen, church, there needs to be emotional maturity here. It will take time. It'll take prayer. It'll take fasting. It'll, it'll have you be, I'm the perpetrator. I'm the offender against God. How could I ever talk so poorly of someone when I do this to God every day? And they'll bring emotional humility in that process. I pray that God does this. I would love to see our churches become spiritual giants as we practice forgiveness. I think this is, will be one of the most freeing things you could experience in your walk with the Lord. So please write down that name. Please pray for them. As we worship, as we worship in a moment, would you guys just say, God, free, free me. I, I want to be able, and just say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I want to forgive. Help me not forget. Like, I, I can't, not, I'm trying not to, but I know I need to. Just talk to God honestly about it and just see what the Lord does. And I, and I want you to have that face-to-face meeting, and I want you to see, to see the forgiveness and freedom that comes in that. Listen, here's the thing for everyone today. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven by your confession in Jesus. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. At the end of the day, I could never say go forgive someone if you haven't received forgiveness. If you do not know Jesus, receive forgiveness today. It is free. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm chief, Paul said. Jesus Christ has saved people like me, like you. And so before you could ever forgive someone, acknowledge the fact that you have a great debt against God. Acknowledge the fact that you have a debt to God you could never pay back. And God, thank you for forgiving me of this debt. Thank you for absorbing the debt. Thank you for the cross where you took all of my debt so I could be set free so now I can forgive others. I would never expect any of you to go out and forgive someone if you haven't been forgiven. Don't go forgive someone if you haven't been forgiven. Be forgiven. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Amen? You can do that right now. We're going to pray, we're going to worship, and we'll have some closing thoughts. Jesus, we just thank you. There's absolutely no one like you who sees us as we are. You see our heart, our motives, our intentions, those thoughts that God, if they were projected on a screen, we'd all be ashamed of. You see all of it, and yet you love us. Thank you. God, we've been forgiven of much. I have been forgiven of much. And God, we want to show you love. We want to respond to that. We want to love your people as you've loved. We want to be known by our love for one another. 
So God, make us a community that truly forgives, that truly receives forgiveness. Remove bitterness. Remove this just only being the offended party. God, we are the offender. We've done terrible things and we need your grace. And so God, I just ask that we would seek that out. That God, we call upon you. That we, as this person came begging his master, his king, have mercy. God, that's our prayer, have mercy. So God, I just ask that you do this. Remind us of this, of us, of the, of this daily. Let's never think we did this once, we're good. God, let's daily come to you and just confess sin and be back in harmony and relationship with you. So we praise you now. We thank you now, Jesus. We celebrate you now in your wonderful name. Amen. Why don't we stand and let's just end our time by worshiping our king.